So, but let me, let me read and then I'll pray for us as we dive into First uh, John chapter 4 here. Yeah. From verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this Love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Let's pray uh, together. Father, again, we're grateful for uh, your word. We thank you that it's living and active. We're so grateful that you have given us the Holy Spirit to teach us and that he comes and he opens up uh, our eyes and our hearts and our minds when we come under your word so that we can see you, we can hear you, we can know you more fully, we can see ourselves more correctly. And we can grow and we can be encouraged. Our faith can be strengthened. And we ask again this morning as we submit ourselves to uh, your word, that Holy Spirit, you would come now and you would, you would teach us that through my words we would hear your voice and that we would be strengthened, our hearts would be enlarged, our eyes would be lifted to you and you would do everything in us that your word longs to do this morning. Please help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is, a long, this is a long passage, and when I ran this past Claire, um, uh, she just read the passage, she said, that sounds like three sermons uh, in that passage. So uh, hopefully this doesn't feel like three sermons, um, but I'm going to do it like this. We're going to look at five things that we can learn about the love of God from this passage. Okay, five things. I know there are more things, and uh, 
Uh, there'll be other things that we can talk about those, share them and celebrate. Five things out of this passage that we can learn about the love of God. The first thing is that the love of God is part of his nature, part of his nature. I said we're going to just keep looking at the verses again and again this morning. How it's going to go. So verse 7 and 8, it says there, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. Love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, it ends, this is because God is love. Verse 16, God is love. God is not loving. God does not do loving things. God is love. In his character, in his nature, God is love. Uh, he has to always be loving. He has to always act out of love because it's in his character and his nature. You and I are a bit different. We can do loving things. We do love one another. We do act out of love, but it's inconsistent even on our best days. I think you'd, you'd have to agree w uh, with that, but not with God. Every action of God comes from love because he is love. He is not loving in his nature. He cannot go against it. So every action of God, every thought comes from love because it's in his exact nature. Now, I know this raises uh, some difficulties because some people think like, well, how do we square up all these things? Because the Bible, uh, you're right, does paint God has other characteristics and other attributes and, and his nature is multifaceted. God is not only love. God is also holy and righteous and just and, and a God of uh, wrath and vengeance, uh, his enemies. Uh, but God is never changing gears. He's never uh, loving there and then acting in wrath over there. He's consistent. Every action is love. So even when he's um, extending wrath or justice, it's out of love. Now, our minds just sort of melt a bit when we try and maintain all these kinds of things. Like, how can we do that? How could God do that? You know, our inability to understand comprehend God doesn't render him inconsistent and not true. Uh, and the point I want to make here is that he just always acts in love. And uh, if you're a believer this morning, maybe the encouragement to you is that every action God takes towards you, every thought that God has towards you is grounded in love. Love that's part of his nature and love for you because he has set his affection on you. And we need to veer away from the temptation to carve God up and say, well, I, I, I love this part of God. I love the loving part. I, like, I, I love it when he's acting in love. I don't like, you know, the Old Testament angry God, you know, when he's just like smiting villages and doing all that stuff. I don't like that God. That God is acting in what? Yeah, that God is acting in love because God can't not act in love. It's part of his nature, his character. He's always acting in love. It's part of his nature. It's the first thing we see here, God is love. He cannot turn it on and off. It's not a switch God has. God is love. Second thing we see in this passage is that, about God's love is that God's love is put on display in Jesus Christ. His love is put on display in Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10, God's love was revealed among us in this way. In this way, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, love consists in this. In what? Well, listen, John, love consists in what? Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love is demonstrated, it's put on display in Jesus Christ. If you wonder what God's love looks like, it looks like this. It looks like the Father sending his one and only son to be a sacrifice in our place for our sins. That's the atoning sacrifice. It's a love by its nature is a self-sacrificing thing. If it's a self-serving thing, you're not loving because this is what love consists in this, that the father sends the son to be an atoning sacrifice. God shines the spotlight. The father shines the spotlight on the cross. And I'm, I'm grateful that we have an event in history, the crucifixion of the son of God. It's an event, something that happened whenever you're wondering, I wonder how God feels about me. I don't know if you ever sit with your thoughts like that and just think, oh, I wonder how God feels about me. There is an event in history, time-stamped event that God has put into human history to let you know that you would never, ever have to doubt and wonder, I wonder how God feels about me. This is God demonstrated his love in this. He sent his son to the cross for you. And it's fixed, and it's there. It's not changing. It actually happened. That is how God feels about you, about the world. Self-sacrificing love. Jesus speaking in John chapter 15, verse 13, says this, no one has greater love than this to what? Lay down his life for his friends. It's this self-sacrificing nature of love that just blows our minds. And Jesus is the highest demonstration of it. God's love is put on display for us in Jesus. He didn't leave us to like wonder, I wonder how God feels about us, like staggering around in the dark, bumbling, mumbling to ourselves. No, there is an action, there's an event in history that you can go back to again and again and again and say, that's how God feels about me. God has demonstrated his love. And uh, whenever I do weddings, I often, I often mention um, this idea and, and these passages because you know, and, and I, you know, I eyeball the couple that are standing in front of me and say, listen, you're about to exchange words, and they're going to be nice words, either the, the words that I've you know, given to you, that the old Anglican kind of vows, safe standard ones, or the ones you've written that sometimes a bit more flowery and stuff. But anyway, you're, you're making a promise to each other, and it's heartfelt, and you might cry, and that's fine, and we'll get through it. Uh, but you can say what you want at your wedding day. You can promise the stars above to your spouse. And it means, okay, now I'm going to get myself into all kinds of trouble, that it doesn't mean nothing. It means a lot. Okay, it's very special. I did it as well. I mean, everyone does it. It's a covenant. You're making promises there. But it means peanuts if you don't follow through in action every day God gives you together to actually do what you're promising. Love is not emotion. You know, your butterflies there say, oh, I'm so excited getting married. I love you. I love you. That's lacquer. What does it actually look like on the ground? It says, for God so loved the world. The better translation of that verse is that in this way, God loved the world. This is how God loved the world. God didn't sit in heaven thinking, I love you guys. Oh, I love you guys. Just thinking or saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. I made you and I love you. Oh, you're just the best. He didn't say that. But he loved us in this. He sent his son. God's love is an action, not an emotion. God's love is an action, not an emotion. And he demonstrates love in sending his son to be a sacrifice 
for us on the cross. God's love is put on display in Jesus Christ. The third thing we learn about God's love is that it's an initiating love. It's an initiating love. Have a look again at verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we loved him. He loved us and he sent his son uh, for us. Verse 19 puts it pretty plainly. We love because he first loved us. God is always, always the first mover. And if you're sitting here today or you're watching at home and you would call yourself a believer in Jesus, a follower of his, you became that because God took steps towards you in love. You didn't find him. You didn't choose him as the best option. He says, I didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you. God put it out there and he came and called us to himself. He is the, always the first mover. He was the first mover starting this relationship that we have with him. And you know what? He remains the first mover. When you turn your back on God and when you wander away and you drift and you wander off into sin and you worship other things before him, who comes looking for you? Yeah. As God comes and draws you back to himself, you don't wake up to your own senses. He sends his Holy Spirit to convict and to win you back to himself. God is always the first mover. He starts it and he keeps it going and keeps winning us again and again and again and again and again back to himself when we wonder. And this is amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I love trying to ground these things. They fall apart a little bit when you try and do this too much, but ground ideas and concepts about God into human relationships. Um, and as I, was, as I was talking about this with Claire, I was thinking about how secure God's love is, how secure the love of the Trinity is, the eternal love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that we get invited into. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we've been invited into an overflow of the eternal love relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's important for us to understand these things that we don't complete the Godhead. It's not like God was lonely. You know, the Father, Son, and the Spirit sitting around first couple million years, like, this is great, guys, but, you know, it's, we're missing something. You know what we should do? We should create humanity. We should create a world and people who would reject us. Uh, let's do that. Uh, and, and they'll complete us. You know, you often hear couples talk about, like, their other half, you know, like the other, their person, and say, like, they complete me, you know? I think that's not very healthy and helpful language. Uh, you should be complete. You know, you are complete, and the other person can be. Oh, must I switch over? Okay, no worries.
Hello? Okay. Gosh, where was I? Does anyone remember what I was saying? This is a good test. Oh, by being complete, right. So that's nonsense that you are completed by another person. You are complete. I mean, you, you, your soul mate, all the ways we describe uh, the people that God brings into our lives for us to love and to serve. Um, but, you know, God is not sitting around thinking we should create people. They're not sitting there thinking we need humans to complete us. There is a sufficiency in the love of the Trinity. Um, and it, and it's, it's something that we can't really get our head around. It's an overflow. Their love is so pure and good and amazing that it overflows to us. And it's an outward kind of creative kind of love um, that is poured out into the world. And we are made almost as an expression of God's love, some, an object for him to love because his love is so pure uh, and good. But, you know, God wasn't lonely and needed us um, so he doesn't initiate love relationship with us because there's something lacking in him. It's because there's an overflow, there's an abundance of love in the Trinity. And because it's so pure and good, God would want to share that with us. And we're invited uh, into that. But um, yeah, I, I wanted us to just mull on that a little bit. That it's, God is the initiating one. God took steps and continues to take steps towards you knowing full well that you would reject him and would still continue to wander away and remain faithless while he remains faithful. Imagine being at a wedding where there's a groom delighting in his bride. It's easy to imagine that, eh? And a lot of us are young. A lot of you have been married recently. I think I did some of your weddings. It's easy, and it's, it's lack, and it's wholesome, you know? If you knew that that bride was going to commit adultery again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and yet that groom remained faithful to that bride and celebrated her and did everything to win her back, win her back, win her back, win her back, you'd just your head would want to explode. You'd be like, dude, just walk away, man. Walk away. This is, this is going to end in flames. This is bad, bad, bad. You're just signing up for trouble here. God is the groom who wins you to himself, knowing that again and again and again we would reject him and we would walk away and we would love other things other than him. And yet he comes again and again to fetch us and bring us back to himself, to win our hearts again to him. He is the initiating one and he continues to initiate that and call us back when we are faithless and we love everything else under the sun other than him. He is amazing. Fourth thing we learn about the love of God is that God's love flows through us. The love of God flows through us. Verses 7 and 8, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love comes from God to us and then through us. Verses 11 and 12, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another another. Love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. God's love is made complete in us. He loves us. When you love others, God's love is made complete. The world now see, oh, that's the way that people experience the love of God is through us loving them. Through us loving them. Now, this is super 
important. Firstly, our motivation to love others comes from being loved by God. We love because we have been loved first. Uh, the, the motivation, the ability to do it all is because I, I'm deeply loved by God. If you're struggling to love others, the cure is not to try harder to love others. The cure, the cure is to lean more into how God loves you and enjoy that. That is the, your, you need your heart set aflame by God's love for you to enable you to love others. It's, they are connected. God's love flows through you. You don't have a source of love for others outside of God's empowering love in you for other people. Are you with me? This, you don't have anything in yourself. Uh, this will be common knowledge to many of us. You know, we struggle on our best days to love the people that are closest to us, the easiest people to love, the people we've chosen to love. We struggle to love them, never mind our enemies. We need a supernatural love at work in us and through us to enable us to be able to love other people. And yet it's an amazing promise here. It's one of the one of the richest promises of the gospel is that God would get into us and he would change our hearts and he would fill us with the spirit and he would empower us to live differently and to love other people. And man, if the world ever needed the church to be doing this, it's now. Uh, 2020 has both been a crazy year. Everything feels upside down. But in some ways, it feels like the world is on fire. People are more divided than, not, I'm not going to say ever before, like this is the worst time in history, but um, I have a love-hate relationship with Twitter. Um, I love it for news and stuff, but maybe I just need to stop following certain people and whatever else and just curate the thing. But, you know, if I spend a few minutes on there, people don't like each other. Man, there are a lot of angry people in the world. Uh, and they just like, you know, just like, and I'm this and you're that or whatever else. The world needs a lot of love. The world needs a lot of people to be loved. And God needs his church to be loved by him and then out in the world loving people with a supernatural love. Not a, not a worldly kindness. I'm not talking about that. Not a niceness. Not a niceness. The world doesn't need a niceness. The world needs a supernatural experience of the love of God working through his church into their lives. It's very, very different. It's not charity. It's not good works. It's not other stuff like that that may be good things. The supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered love of God at work in us and, and encountering other people, that is what will change people. When they encounter the love of God, we're going to talk about more about it in detail a bit later on. That's what the world needs, desperately, desperately. The fifth thing, God's love drives out fear. God's love drives out fear. Verses 17 and 18 in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Fear has to do with punishment. Talk about this relationship between love and fear. Love and fear. There are two areas here that you can be afraid. John's referencing judgment day. Fear of that day of standing before God. Is there an eternal punishment awaiting you? I think the, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God through Jesus Christ, you should be afraid of that day. You should be terrified of that day. 
because it's a day of judgment and it's not going to go well for you for all eternity because of that, because there's no relationship. You should be afraid. But if you have a relationship with God through love, there's nothing to be afraid of. You have no fear in love because perfect love, the perfect love God has given you drives out fear. You can approach that day, this is with confidence, that day of judgment. Ever since I've been a believer, I've never ever, not one day, thought that I'm going to stand before God one day in fear and that judgment day. Reverential awe, yeah, I mean, I probably won't be able to speak. I like kind of John face on the floor, you know, overwhelmed. But I think when I eventually can stand up and speak and do whatever else and interact with God, I don't have any fear because the Bible uh, reminds me that my life is hidden in Christ with God. I don't have a righteousness of my own. All of my eggs are in the basket of Jesus' perfect righteousness. When God looks at me, he sees his son, and he's like, hey, come, come. I love you. Come to me. Welcome. Hey, Doug, we should have spoken more while you were alive, but now we've got time to catch up. You know, I'm going to get a welcome because I'm in Christ, and I have no fear of that day. I have no fear at all of that day. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you should have no fear of Judgment Day. If you're not, you should be terrified of that day. And you should hear these words and turn and place your faith in Jesus so you have confidence in that day of judgment. But it's not just a fear of that day. It can be a fear of all the days between now and that day. A lot of people live with deep fear and anxiety around what every day will bring. Why? Because they forget the love of the Father. Forget the love of the Father. The perfect love of the Father drives out the fears of today and tomorrow. Drives it out. If you spend a couple hours every morning soaking in the love of your Father, reminding yourself that every single thing that happens to you, every single minute of every day is under his watchful gaze and his sovereign hand and his perfect love for you. You would, the fear and anxiety would drain out of you. It, not, not, not necessarily the difficulty, there may be difficult days and hard and heartbreaking things and overwhelming things, but you wouldn't doubt the fact that the Father loves you because his perfect love drives out fear. I really think that's what God longs for us, is for his people to live lives where we don't live in fear. We live in trust. We live in trust. You, the more time you spend with your father, you learn to trust him. Because you, you experience his love for you. And you know, every time I go to him, I receive love. I receive love. He affirms that. When I call my kids to come to me, and Jono runs and I stick up my hand. You know what he's thinking? These are, the, we call them the tickle spiders in our house. The tickle spiders. I tickle him to death. He loves sticky. He's got the cutest little laugh. I tickle that kid to death. I wrestle with him. I love, I, I, he's very affectionate. So I, like, I love hugging him. I hug him like 15 times a day. Uh, when John O'Connor, when I call him and I put out my hand, the only thing he's thinking is I'm going to tickle him or I'm going to cuddle him, or I'm going to love him. He's never, ever thinking, these hands are going to smack me. Because day after day, interaction after interaction, I have ingrained in him that I'm your father and I love you. And these are hands of affection. They're not hands to hurt you. 
And the same thing is true when you come to your Father again and again, day in and day out, and you soak your heart and your mind in the truth of His Word, and the Holy Spirit impresses again and again on your heart. Your Father loves you. Your Father loves you. Your Father loves you. And your trust in Him grows. Your trust in Him grows. Fear is driven out, and trust rises. Faith replaces fear. That's what God's love does in us. It drives out the fear. As we, as we close this, let me point you to one verse that's really, really important. Verse 16. John says this, And we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Let me ask you that question. Can you, can you say that with the same confidence that John says? Have you come, have you come to know and to believe the love that God has for you. Because it's the most important question you need to answer in this whole passage. And it's not about how to be a more loving person. It's about, like I said, you need to come to know the love and believe the love the Father has for you. And for some of you, maybe here, maybe listening at home, this may be the first day that the love of the Father invades your life. It invades your life through your belief in Jesus, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have a love encounter with your Father. Have you come to believe the love the Father has for you? Because you were made to be loved and to love. You were made for this. And those of you who are Christians, you, you maybe you can remember when you became a believer and how those early days have just been overwhelmed by the presence of God, like the sense of forgiveness, the, the indwelling Holy Spirit. You felt so deeply loved. Maybe it's been ages since you really um, soaked in that and found joy in that. That's not something that should be right. That's not right for us. We should live there in that wonder. Like, oh, my Father loves me. Loves me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is refreshing that memory and that reality for us. You were made for it. You, and, and he hears that if you don't find it in God, you're going to look for it in other places. If, you, if, you, if your heart's not loved by God, deeply, deeply loved and satisfied in that love, it's going to go and try to find something else to fill that, plug that hole. It's radically important that we come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And then the last thing I'll say is love needs to be practically lived out. As a church community, we should be asking ourselves, how do we do this? How do we practically live out lives of love with one another? I know that we, it feels like we're still coming out of the haze of, of COVID-19 and it could still be hazy for a while still. You know, we've forgotten how to love each other. We've even forgotten how to be with people. Um, all of this observing social interaction, it's weird. I see some people, you know, who I, I like uh, and like they see you and like they, they're keeping their distance. And I understand we should all keep our distance. You know, I want to be on record on video saying you should keep your distance, keep your mask on and stuff. But six months of not being with each other and not being close to people has, has made us all a bit, a bit weird, a little bit. Some people, some people not. Some people just come up and give you a hug. They couldn't give us stuff about COVID, whatever. And other people are like, they're a bit like, hey, hey. Uh, and, and then they don't know if they want to go to church. They don't know if they want to lean into Christian community again. They've sort of forgotten how to love people. And we need to find this again. We need to lean into relationships more with each other. Masks <laughs> don't help to be able to see what is going on with a person. But it doesn't mean we can't love each other. 
And practically, there's two things here. These are two ways in which you can love other people. The first is that you go to work on your own character. You go to work on your own character. You allow God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to change you. You spend time with God. You spend time in His Word. You, you allow your life to be a continued under construction. Not, not, not you be the best you that you can be, not that kind of nonsense, but you just allow God to continue to transform you and make you more Christ-like. It makes you a greater gift to a community of believers as God ch changes you and transforms you and makes you more loving. So it's not just other stuff. It's, 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 a, it's a working on yourself thing first. And then secondly, um, it's loving each other in practical ways. Um, I had a very long list here, which I carved down. I looked at 1 Corinthians 13. You can go and read that again. It's a great chapter to work through to assess the condition of your own heart and how loving you are towards other people. But as we come out of this COVID haze, we need to find new ways to serve each other, to pray for one another. Pr praying for your church community is the, is the greatest gift that you can give them. I'm going to say that again. Praying for your church community is the greatest gift that you can give any one of them. You don't have to let them know that you're praying for them. If you want to, that's fine. But I want to encourage you, this is how we love one another. We pray for each other. We bring each other before God, the one who can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, and we submit each other before the Lord and say, Lord, would you bless them? Would you help them? Would you strengthen? Would you comfort? Would you guide? Would you lead? Would you provide? We pray for one another. So practical way of loving each other we think the best of each other we think the best of each other when our minds are tempted to wonder and think um you know less encouraging thoughts about each other we rein those things and we bring them under the obedience of christ and we want to think the best i don't blow smoke but we want to think the best of each other we want to honor each other in our thoughts it's a way of loving one another we want to forgive each other quickly Forgive each other quickly. We're going to offend each other again and again. And a loving community is built when we forgive one another. We look for ways to meet each other's practical needs. It's been lucky in COVID to hear of some people having real practical needs. Some people have lost jobs. They've battled with it. And as a church, you know, both the generosity of the financial giving that we've seen in the church and the ability to be able to dispense help and love one another in practical ways has felt right and good and biblical that's what a church should be and we should not just do it in an institutional sense we should do it in an individual sense we're looking where are the needs in this body of believers father that i'm a part of this is my family where are the family needs where are these needs in my family here where can i meet them where we can love one another is by getting uncomfortable with each other talking about things that are difficult and uncomfortable and may irritate us and annoy us and expose us and cause us to be in difficult environments or conversations that you would naturally may want to lean out of. But for the health of unity and growth, we're going to lean into those conversations and be willing to be uncomfortable with one another. That's a practical way of loving each other. Making it a priority. Making it a priority. I think, like I said before I started preaching, uh, we've all sort of got out of the habit of going to church and, and doing church life with one another, and I want to encourage us as we come out of the haze to make it a priority again. This is the most important family that you're a part of, is the family of God. 
to make it a priority to love one another and to serve each other, if it's one of the things that we get to do, it will be treated like that. But if it is what we are here for, to be part of God's family on mission together with him, loving and serving each other, it floats up the priority list and it gets your attention and your time, your finances, your energy, everything. The list is way too long for the time that we got, so I'm going to can it there. I think you're probably suffering a lack of oxygen with the masks on, so I'll, I'll land it there. Let me pray for us and ask God to both this morning um, enable us to encounter His love afresh through the Holy Spirit and help us and transform us as a community both in person and online into a loving community that God gets amongst in deeper ways, satisfies us and changes us and then works through us to be a loving community um, body a family on his mission. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the love that you have for us. Um, just in these few minutes where we've been uh, looking again into your word, being reminded again, just you have, you, you are love and you love us in such extravagant ways, so undeserving of uh, your love for us. And we just, this morning, we want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us so extravagantly in Jesus Christ and so consistently through the indwelling Holy Spirit who helps us to know and believe and experience that you are our Father and you love us. That's not, it's not just a, a head thing for us that we feel loved by you. We know that we are cared for completely by you. Everything that crosses our, our path is, it comes from your loving hand. And, and you discipline us in different seasons, which helps us just to know that we are yours. Your word says that you, you discipline those that you love. It, it's a sign that we actually are legitimate children. You don't punish us because that has to do with fear, and it's different. You're a loving father, and you discipline us, and we pray that we would lean into that and just whatever we're going through um, with you now, remind us again this morning, Father, through the work of the Spirit, that we are deeply, deeply loved by you, that we belong to you. We are your children. And as we come and we sit at your feet and we rest our hearts there, um, that our, our trust in you would rise, our faith in you would rise, that you'd drive out um, fear in us, you'd drive out the fear of the future, fear of what... Uh, is coming in our lives, that we would trust you as we look to you. All we would see is a loving Father. And pray for uh, those here or, or listening today who've never encountered the love of the Father, never placed their full faith in Jesus Christ um, to take away the burden of their sin and receive forgiveness, become a child of God and be loved by you. And I pray that you would encounter people today and draw them to yourself. And that today would be the first day, the first time they've experienced this, this tsunami of the love of God through the Holy Spirit in their lives as you make them yours uh, today. Thank you, Father, for loving us like nobody else can. And we pray that that would deepen in us. Our joy would rise as we just sit at your feet. Nothing compares to being loved by you. And we thank you that you have done this. You do it now, and our eternity is secure in you. We have absolute confidence that your love for us will never, ever change. 
It'll never fade. Nothing can separate us from it. We can't even get ourselves out of this. You have set your affection on us. How we love you for that. Thank you, Father. We worship you. You're too good to us. In Jesus' name.